he quotes Jesus Christ as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, it's one of the very few sayings we have of Jesus that doesn't come from actually inside the, uh, the Gospels. And it's uh, pretty well known, and it's, uh, it's deceptive in its simplicity. There are riches in that little saying. It's almost as if everything else that the Bible says about giving and money is in that verse, in that saying. But let me read it to you in context. Uh, as I just said, it's Acts chapter 20, and Paul is leaving these uh, uh, brothers and sisters, these leaders, and he doesn't believe he'll ever see any of them again. So in verse 25, he says, I know that none of you will ever see my face again. So it's a sad situation, and it's important for understanding what he says here, the significance of it. Then finally, in verse 32 to 37, this is what we read. Now, he says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build us up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. In everything I do, I have showed you that by this kind of work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said this, he knelt down among them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Now, he's actually saying two things there, and they're both kind of surprising. On the one hand, he is saying, I commit you to the word of grace. Now, that's the gospel. The gospel is that we're saved by grace. We're not saved by our good works. We're not saved by trying to live a good life. We're saved by the grace of God uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. So he says, I commit you to the word of grace, the gospel. Now, we tend to think of the gospel as the thing that gets us saved. The gospel is that you're not saved by your good works. You have to believe in Jesus Christ, put your, your trust in him, and you get eternal life. That's the gospel. And we think of it as just something that, that works for us when we get saved. And after that, uh, it's certainly something we need to move on to more advanced things. But here he says to the people he's about to leave for the, forever, he says, I'm giving you to the gospel. I'm committing you to the gospel, which can build you up. And that's a bit surprising to most of us, because what he's actually saying then is the gospel isn't just something that saves you. It's the thing that is going to also turn you into someone like Jesus Christ. But then he goes on and says another thing, which is kind of surprising, which is it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now you say, now wait a minute. Uh, Why is that so surprising? Here's why it's surprising. When you know you're never going to see somebody again, and you're talking to people that you love, and you're never going to see them again, you don't talk about the weather. (laughs) You don't say, uh, you know, what do you think the baseball team is going to do next year? You only bring out the things that are the most crucial things possible, the things closest to your heart, the things that are closest, uh, what, what you think is the most important thing in the world for your, your loved ones to hear. And here's what he says. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But we've got to put the two things together. He says, I'm giving you to the gospel. I want you to understand the gospel. I want you to give your life to the gospel. And then he says, I want you to be radically generous. Do you see what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. There's nothing more important than I can... He says, there's nothing more important than I can say than this. Nothing more important. And that is, if you understand the gospel of grace, 
or to the degree that you understand the gospel of grace, you will live a radically generous life. And that's the most important thing I can tell you. In fact, let's put those two things together. Uh, It's not just true that if you understand the gospel, if it really grips your heart, if it's really changing you, that it makes you radically generous. It's also true that the reverse would be the case, which is, if you're not radically generous, you can say all you want that you believe the gospel, but you actually don't. Or put it another way, if you truly have a spiritual inheritance, if you really have a spiritual inheritance, it means you are going to be promiscuously generous with your earthly inheritance. You just won't let it stand pat. You won't jealously guard it. So he's saying, if you understand the gospel, you'll be radically generous. Now, to me, that leads to a number of implications. Just a couple here we can, we can share. The one is, it has a whole lot to do with the matters of the heart now. Uh, when, when Paul says, it's really, really important for you to understand this, he says, when I lived among you, I was not covetous. Did you hear that? Before he tells you, you need to be generous, he says, when I lived among you, I wasn't covetous. I wasn't out for money. I actually came and I spent my life for you, and I took care of the weak and the poor. And he says, now you go be generous. It's interesting, then, he says, is covetousness is what leads to a lack of generosity, not stinginess, covetousness. So when he says that, here's what this must mean. He's warning you against, let's, let's, let's use a more modern word, greed. Covetousness is greed. And he's saying, be careful about it. Because that's what keeps you from giving what you ought to give. Now, Jesus also says this. It's in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, I believe, where he writes, where where Jesus says, watch out, be on the lookout for all kinds of greed. Now, it's interesting that both Paul here and Jesus are telling you to watch out for greed. Why do they do that? Because most people don't see themselves being greedy. Let me give you a, a, a different sin, adultery. Virtually always you know that you're committing adultery when you're committing adultery, okay? You know that isn't your spouse, okay? You know you're committing adultery, all right? And yet I have to tell you, I, I've had plenty of people as a pastor over the years come to me and confess adultery and confess a whole lot of other sins, but actually I'm still waiting for someone to come and say, I need to confess a sin to you, pastor. What? I spend too much money on myself. I'm greedy. Uh... The reason why Paul and Jesus say you really got to watch out for greed is because, generally speaking, when you are greedy, you don't know that you are. And that's the problem. It's a hard issue. It's not, you you say, oh, I'm just being stingy, I'm just being prudent. No, no. What is greed? Greed is a heart issue. And and your, your biggest besetting sins are always the sins you really don't see. And so think about this. If it's really true that Jesus warns about greed at least 10 to 20 times, I should count it up, more than he warns against any other sin, 10 to 20 times more. And if he says, and Paul hints here, that most people don't see themselves being greedy when they are, I would like you all to start with this working assumption. It's probably true of you. It might not be, but you ought to start. If you're fair-minded and you're reading what the Bible says, you ought to start with the assumption that you are too materialistic, you are too greedy. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't be warning people to watch out for it. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't be warning people that the reason you don't give is because of covetousness. 
So what that means is, let's start with a working assumption that it probably is true of you. That's the first thing I learned here. Here's another thing you learn. This really is a matter of the heart, so let me uh, open up my own a little bit. My wife, who's here, knows this, that I've never seen a book that I wasn't willing to buy. Uh, on any kind of subject, right? Any kind of subject. <laughs> True. Cookbooks, no. But outside of that, <laughs> no matter what field of knowledge, no matter how expensive it is, I would like it on my shelf. Why? I am a teacher. I am a preacher. My job, it's my job to know things. And therefore, the danger for me, and it's a very big danger, is that's not just my job, it becomes my identity. I want people to say, oh, he's so knowledgeable. He's so incredibly knowledgeable. And because I want that, so it's not just a job, but it's an identity. It's where I get my self-worth from. I find it effortless to spend money on books, effortless. I can give my money to the church and the poor, but it's not effortless. It's effortless for me to spend money on books. Why? Jesus says in the Gospels, where your treasure is, there is your heart. Now, let's put that, there's a number of ways you could translate that, but let me translate it this way. Wherever your heart is, there your treasure flows most effortlessly. For example, I have no trouble spending money on books, but I really hate spending money on clothes. And I don't think anybody in the room is going to be surprised when I tell you. It's because I don't get a lot of my self-esteem over how I look. I do get a lot of self-esteem over what I know, but not how I look. If it's easier for you to spend money on an expensive home in a high-status neighborhood, if it's easier for you to do that than it is to give your money away radically to the church and to the poor, then status is more important to you than the love of God for your identity. You say, oh, I'm a Christian, but really your identity to a great degree, your self-esteem to a great degree is I'm a prosperous enough person I have a high enough status in human society to live there. Or maybe, by the way, you are one of the people who has no trouble spending money on clothing. It's just like that. Then you're probably better looking than me. Uh, And it's also probable that you are getting a lot more of your self-image from that. The Bible never really says money's an idol. People say, oh, money's an idol. Well, yeah, okay. But I think it would be a little more accurate to say your money reveals your idols. What if you're the kind of person that spends like no money on nice homes or clothing, but you just sock it all away? All away. And nobody even knows you're very prosperous just because you live so frugally and you're kind of proud of that. But why is it so socked away? Why aren't you giving more of it away? Because you feel with your money you can control the world. Because you have so much money, no matter what happens, recession, this, that, bad happen, everything will be okay for me. In other words, money can be It can reveal a control idol. Instead of relying on God, I'm going to control the world through my money. I'm going to be safe. Or an approval idol. Instead of saying God's love is what gives me my self-esteem, oh, no, no, I'm going to get it from looking good and living in those neighborhoods. You You see why Paul says, only if you understand the grace of God. Only if you understand the grace of God. 
Only if your salvation is in Jesus Christ and in grace, not in your accomplishments or how much money you've made or, what, or, or your career or, or how much your children love you. In other words, if you, if you rest your heart in anything but God, you will have a lot of trouble giving your money away. You have no trouble giving money to your children, no trouble giving money to your clothing, your wardrobe, no, money, no, no trouble giving money to your library. But you'll find it actually hard to give away a lot of your income to the church and the poor. You know why? Because of the idols of your heart. It's because of the idols of your heart. It's not just a matter of stinginess. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do about the idols? How are we going to become generous? The answer is right there in the text. You have to give yourself to the word of grace. Whatever you set your heart on as the source of your sense of self and your sense of worth, your false saviors, whether it's money, whether it's looks, whether it's human approval or power or control or whatever, whatever you say, if I have that, then I'll know I'm really important. Then I'll know I'm valuable. And of course, whatever that is, it will demand your life. Now be careful here. For example, if you're living for your children, you know, what could be more noble than that? And you'll be pouring so much money into your children and so much time and effort, but you'll be manipulating them. You won't be able to let them live their own lives because they've got to be okay and they've got to, be, they've got to turn out in this way. If you, if you uh, let your career be the thing that, wow, because I'm successful in my career, that's how I know I'm a great person. That's how I know I'm valuable. Boy, if you give your, if you give your heart to any of these treasures, they will demand your life. You'll work yourself to death in your career. You'll be a workaholic. Anything that you treasure more than Jesus Christ, it will demand your life. It will demand sacrifice. It will demand endless work. It'll run you into the ground. But Jesus Christ is the only treasure who gave himself for you, who sacrifices for you. Every other treasure you do anything for, but Jesus Christ is the only treasure who's done anything, has, has already done everything for you. And think about this. Think about his motivation. Why would Jesus Christ have come to earth? When he was in heaven, he was really rich. <laughs> he was ultimately rich. He had all glory. He was... So why in the world would he have left that all behind to get to us? Didn't he have everything? No. The one thing, if he, had, if he had not become poor, if he had not been born in a manger, if he had not gone to a cross, if he had not done any of those things, if he had not been emptied of his glory, he wouldn't have had us. If he'd stayed in heaven and kept his riches, we would have been lost. But only because he came to earth does he have us. Do you know what that means? We must be, in some sense, more precious to him than the whole rest of the universe because he gave it all up. And when I see Jesus Christ going to the cross because he treasures us, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, we are his treasured possession. When I see him leaving all his other treasures behind and to treasure us, that makes him my ultimate treasure. When I realize that I'm his ultimate treasure, that melts my heart. It moves me away from all these other things that I'm giving my life to. And that makes it possible for me to make him my ultimate treasure. And when that happens, all these other things in your life just become things. They're no longer your identity. They're no longer your, your esteem. They're just things. And your money becomes just money, not an identity anymore. And now you're free to use it to heal the world.